When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, everyone. I'm Zach Wolf, a senior writer here at CNN, and this is The Daily D.C., It's New Hampshire primary day, so we have a lot to get into today. In a few minutes, I'll be speaking to CNN political commentator Sarah Isker, who is a staff writer and podcaster at The Dispatch. But first, a special treat. We've got a reporter on the ground in New Hampshire. That's CNN political reporter Dan Marica. Dan, thanks for calling in on a busy day. Of course. Thanks for having me. Tell me, uh, as you know, I like to know where you are and what you're doing and what is the life of a campaign reporter today in New Hampshire? I'm actually in my hotel room. It's an election day, so it's a bit of a holding pattern day where you're just waiting to get news and writing stuff up. Uh, but Pete Buttigieg, the candidate I spend most of my time with, went to three voting sites this morning before 9 a.m. So first was at 6 a.m., another at 7 a.m., and another right around 9 a.m. Um, you know, right now the candidates are trying to get those last-minute votes out of anybody who may be in line in some of these sites. The assumption here in New Hampshire is that Bernie Sanders is going to have a very good night. He beat Hillary Clinton here by 22 points in 2016. Most experts think that he will win again tonight. Most polling uh, most polling data shows that Pete Buttigieg will have a good night as well. There, his campaign is certainly looking at how close he can keep the margin with Bernie Sanders and whether he can tout a win, whether he can tout a, a strong performance. But really all of the eyes here in New Hampshire and around the Democratic world are on the third, fourth, and fifth slot. How well did Amy Klobuchar do? She had a strong debate, uh, widely regarded as her strongest, raised a ton of money after the debate. And so, uh, you know, people are watching, is this momentum that we're seeing at some of her events going to show up at the poll, at, at, uh, on election day? Um, she's had good crowds here in New Hampshire. The polls haven't really shown her jumping that much, Some, you know, our CNN tracking poll has seen some growth, but not anything that uh, remarkable. Uh, her campaign is very confident. And then you have the two candidates that really need a bounce back moment, and that is Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren, neighboring senator, has campaigned very hard here, has hit different voting sites today. Um, it seems like her campaign is looking at a third or fourth place finish. That is absolutely worse than they thought they were going to do months ago. And says a lot about the rise of Pete Buttigieg and the fact that even though they have politically different positions, it does seem like Pete Buttigieg is stealing some of her thunder, especially with a certain sector of voters. And then you have Joe Biden, who has uh, struggled mightily in Iowa, has struggled here, according to our polls, and is actually leaving the state before the votes are going to be counted. He will yeah, be in I, South I, Carolina I want to get into today. that, Dan. Th- this is this is, I think, a really important thing because Joe Biden did not do well in Iowa, fourth place there, maybe looking at something like that again. He has pulled up stakes and left before the voting to move down to South Carolina, where he hopes the electorate is a little bit friendlier to him. And I think that that, you know, uncovers this rift uh, in the Democratic Party right now, where you have these first two contests in states that are 90 percent or more white 
and then we will move down to South Carolina, where it is a much more diverse uh, body of voters, uh, particularly, uh, you know, there are a lot of African-Americans voting in the Democratic primary in South Carolina. And Joe Biden wants um, African-American voters to be his constituency uh, because they are so important to the party on Election Day in November. Um, He actually talked a little bit about this with Don Lemon on CNN last night. I want you to listen to this. It's an uphill race here because, you know, we're running against two senators from neighboring states. I'm anxious to get to South Carolina and Nevada. And I don't know how you can judge who's going to be likely be able to win the nomination uh, until you have the African-American vote and the Latino vote. My path to victory is Super Tuesday. The next nominee is going to have to be able to win in Pennsylvania and Michigan and Arizona. You want to run with the top of the ticket to defining the Democratic Party as a socialist? Now, that that was a mashup of Joe Biden. All, all those all those comments weren't, um, you know, one right after the other. We, we, we spliced that stuff together. But I think it shows how he has essentially written off uh, the this second contest after doing poorly in the first contest. Is this over for him at this point? I think New Hampshire is over for him. I think his campaign will say they're competing hard. But just the fact that he's leaving before and not really having a victory party where he'll be in attendance here. And there's another thing. He's not going to Nevada. He's going to South Carolina uh, instead of the third state in the nominating calendar. I'm a proud Nevadan. I'm born and raised there. So I just want to note that that is the third state, not the fourth state. He's going to South Carolina because that's where he thinks his best contest is. He's been saying for, for weeks now that he sees the first four contests as one taken together, and then they get into the Super Tuesday contest. I do think something that stuck out to me in that answer to Don Lemon is he mentions two neighboring state senators, which is true. There are two neighboring state senators running. At the same time, he's not mentioning Pete Buttigieg. The fact that Pete Buttigieg has risen, basically swapped places with him in the course of three months here in New Hampshire uh, in November, October. Joe Biden was at second place in the low 20s in the polls. And now that's where Pete Buttigieg is. So he's kind of ignoring the Buttigieg rise when he pulls up stakes and goes to South Carolina. Yeah, Buttigieg is moving into that middle lane, uh, certainly in New Hampshire. But then, uh, not on the ballot in New Hampshire, we have a gentleman by the name of Michael Bloomberg, who is extremely wealthy and is just, I like to say, he's carpet bombing the airwaves, uh, basically in everywhere that's not one of the first four primary states. Uh, He wants to clean up on Super Tuesday. He wants to move into that middle lane, too. So rather than getting fewer names. We're actually expanding the number of Democrats who who seem like they're viable. When are people going to start dropping out so that Democrats can focus and really start to make a decision? I think you'll start seeing some people drop out tonight or tomorrow. I think New Hampshire will do what Iowa usually does, which in the past context, Iowa has whittled the field. I think New Hampshire will be that. You had a number of candidates. You know, they're not pulling in the top tier, certainly, but they are options on the ballot here in New Hampshire. They are having events. I'm thinking of people like uh, Michael Bennett, senator from Colorado, Tulsi Gabbard, who stakes her entire campaign uh, here in New Hampshire. And then you have someone like an Andrew Yang, who has admitted that maybe he invested too much in Iowa and is now in a precarious position where he's not getting much traction in New Hampshire and doesn't see an obvious path forward for himself. You are absolutely right. Michael Bloomberg is looming out there with already spending over $300 million on advertising on television and digital that's an astounding number that no candidate can even come close to through this process. Um, and, and he's basically building a juggernaut, waiting and hoping that there's chaos that continues throughout these first four contests and that he's there 
on Super Tuesday able to just scoop up support. Maybe he wins a few state, maybe he doesn't, but he gets enough delegates to be legitimate. That's his that's his thinking and that's their goal of Super Tuesday. Okay, Dan, I'll let you get back to it. In New Hampshire, uh, you're going to have a long night. You're going to have a lot to write about, and uh, we'll, we'll let you go. And I'm going to turn now to Sarah Isker, the CNN political commentator. Sarah, we're happy to have you back here. Great to be here, of course. Dan was talking about how Michael Bloomberg is everywhere, essentially, and my children, for instance, who <laughs> pick up the iPad and watch YouTube and do not follow politics, have asked me who is this Michael Bloomberg fellow because his ads are seriously everywhere. If you wear, if you, if you watch little kids shows on YouTube, you see Michael Bloomberg stuff. So that's really interesting. You're the second dad I've heard from this week whose kids asked him about Michael Bloomberg this week, which, by the way, means he's actually not doing a great job targeting those pre-roll ads because <laughs> 12-year-olds can't vote. I don't know how old yours are. Or they are playing such a game (laughs) of political chess that they have thought if we show the kids about Michael Bloomberg and then they ask their parents, maybe that'll change minds. I'm not sure I'm quite there with you, but but okay, maybe it's (laughs) three-dimensional. I doubt it. It's still interesting, and I think it shows you how these first four states, we have relied on them for a few decades now, um, longer than that in the case of, uh, of Iowa, New Hampshire, and that era of American politics, I think, might be over. Ron Brownstein, um, very smart journalist, writes about this at CNN today, how maybe we are moving beyond that as a country right now. You're looking at this from the other side. Um, Do you think that it's time to move on from these four states? So what I think would be really damaging is to move to a national primary where basically Super Tuesday is every state or because that we then just only had. a Michael Bloomberg could. That's right. So those so heavily benefit high name ID candidates and high TV time candidates. You don't do any retail politics. You don't give a chance to candidates like a Pete Buttigieg, for instance, this cycle, um, who uh, is showcasing some political talent and viability by having to compete on the same ground as everyone else. It's the difference between a closed course and a road race. Sometimes a closed course is helpful to figure out uh, who is a great cyclist. A road race is testing different skills. So whether it's these four states or not has yet to be seen. I've also heard a great suggestion that the four states should just switch out the order each time. I think that's very viable. You know, there was that great metaphor, um, was it yesterday or the day before, where the chairman of the Iowa Democratic Party gave a press conference and the Iowa uh, seal fell off the podium in the middle of his speaking. (laughs) Those are not moments you want as a comms person. Well, you know, and and part of it is the Iowa was such a disaster for Democrats. However, it's run by the party. It's not, you know, a, a completely official uh, you know, contest. This is our first time when when voters actually vote. Um, on the other hand, these states are so different than the rest of the country in that they're both extremely white, uh, large, you know, not as urban as as you know the 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 bottom line for Democrats is those aren't the voters they're necessarily trying to get out. Although they could be the voters that help them win elections, and if electability is ultimately the goal here, then why do we need to open the lane for the mayor from South Bend to get buzz? Pete Buttigieg would not exist, I think, if California or some other large state were the first primary, simply because everybody would say, well, the the former mayor of 
South Bend, Indiana. Why am I going to support that guy? The argument for Iowa is that he can go and he can impress people there, speaking Norwegian and, and doing all of his Pete Buttigieg things and do very well and, and catapult himself to the top tier. Barack Obama, first-term senator, probably, arguably, might not have happened if California had come first. Totally agree, and certainly not against Hillary Clinton. There's always a chance where you have a very fractured field where nobody has particularly high name ID nationally. You know, you and I will know who they are, but uh, Hillary Clinton had near-universal name ID and uh, a lot of the money behind her. But again, you can also come up with a theory where they, you know, the first contest should be in swing states from the last election, that the first contest should have been in Michigan or... um, Wisconsin this year. Fine. Although New Hampshire's swingy. It's swingy. Iowa and New Hampshire are getting less swingy, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. Although, you know, people forget Donald Trump only lost New Hampshire by like 3,000 votes. Um, of course, go- there's only how many votes in the state? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. As a percentage. This, this isn't Wisconsin or, right. or Michigan or Pennsylvania. Florida, for instance, was actually very tight um, this time. Yeah. Uh, Joe Biden probably would have loved to have had, you know, the first P- Pennsylvania. That would have been a good place for <laughs> for Joe Biden to go first. OK, let's move to electability, because that has been Joe Biden's you know, core argument for his candidacy, that he is the most electable. Uh, Pete Buttigieg would like to tell you that he's pretty electable because he represents, you know, a place or represented a place in Iowa. Let's talk about who is actually the most electable person against Donald Trump. I think Bernie Sanders is changing the math on this. He's now making an electability argument that I find interesting, which is uh, you're telling me about electability uh, with swing voters. But what if this is a base election? What if it's an enthusiasm election? I've got the most enthusiastic supporters. I've got this army behind me. And that should be considered when we talk about electability, too. Uh, I think that that's very comparable to Donald Trump's argument in 2016, and it clearly worked. Well, let me challenge you there, because Bernie Sanders got fewer votes, if we're calling them that, in Iowa this time than last time. True, and fewer first-time caucus goers. Turnout overall in Iowa, I think, was a real—I mean, the number one story out of Iowa should have been the turnout numbers. Unfortunately, because we also didn't know who won it, uh, it turned into that. But uh, I agree that that undermines his argument. But the argument itself is a new one as well, and uh, one that Biden and Buttigieg and Klobuchar have yet to struggle with. Now, their best counter is, that's great— But the fact is, we're looking at three states, really, Pennsylvania, Michigan and Wisconsin. You know, Bernie's argument doesn't really hold a ton of water in those states. Um, Okay, yeah, we're looking at three states, essentially. Um, Who is the person that will do best in those three states? Do we know yet? I guess we don't. It's almost like they have to fight it out and they have to bloody each other up. And that's who you know who the best person is. Is that the right argument? I think that's right. I think that Biden has this South Carolina firewall he's argued about. Uh, for the last several months. And the problem is he loses some of that firewall each time he loses one of these states. And as you and and Dan mentioned, he's just skipping Nevada now and going straight to South Carolina. That's going to undermine his firewall. Nevada, swing-ish state. South Carolina, not a swing state. (laughs) That's right. At all. (laughs) Nobody calls South Carolina a swing state. So it's important to get the, the, the Democratic electorate there, but it will not 
be as important in, in November, mark my words. All right, Sarah, we have to leave it right there. I appreciate your time and insight. And thanks also to reporter Dan Marica. He's up in New Hampshire. A friendly reminder to our listeners, we've got a new episode every weeknight. So please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, please consider leaving a rating or a comment. It helps people find the show. And of course, thanks for tuning in. We will see you tomorrow. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.